here. Welcome to Jammin' and Jammies. I'm going to catch you up real quick. Jammin' and Jammies is a live show that happens here in Nashville. We feature hit songwriters and rising artists in their pajamas. It's a real hoot. Right now we're doing everything via live stream on our Instagram on Sunday night, so make sure that you go check that out and tune in. And while we're all sitting at home in our pajamas a little more, we're sitting down with our favorite songwriters and peeking behind the curtain and picking their brains. So today we are lucky enough to have one of my favorites, a jammy veteran now, Mr. Jeff Cohen. He is an award-winning songwriter and producer based in Nashville and London. Jeff has written hits for superstars like the band Perry, Sugarland, Josh Groban, Big and Rich, and many, many more. And he also has had hundreds of placements in TV and video games. I'm really excited about this. Let's welcome him. How you doing, Jeff? I'm doing great. Sorry, I uh, ended up getting caught up on some calls I was going to shave for you, but um, <laughs> let me go today, I guess. You're getting a little gruff, Jeff, here. It goes with the pajama theme. You're comfy. I like it. It does, and I'm representing one of my favorite bands on my t-shirt, Dawes. Nice. Yes. Awesome. I love it. Well, do you want to just start by just telling us about your childhood, your background, who your influences were growing up? Sure. I was, um, I was left, I don't know who my parents are, I was left in the woods and I was raised by squirrels. And it was a little awkward because as I grew, they didn't. And I became a lot bigger than the squirrels. And so I speak, I speak a few animal languages. And at a certain point, they told me I needed to go and assimilate into the world of humans. Wow. And I moved to New York. Interesting. Because I thought that was where most of the animals were. Yeah. And I, being an animal, fit right in. Interesting. And that's how I grew up, yeah. A lot well, of people really, don't know that about me. I really appreciate you sharing that. Yes. <laughs> Very personal story with us. Yeah, I don't tell it very often. Um, I'm very proud of my upbringing. And I was, you know, and I have a great family, a human family too, which is fantastic. Um, but I was, I did grow up in New York and didn't really start playing until late high school, early college, and just did it for fun, taught myself a little bit. And um, then when I was 22, 23, I was working for Macy's. And I said, man, if I'm going to work 60 hours a week, six days a week, I'd rather do something I like. I mean, I like Macy's, but it wasn't my passion career. So I said, I want to try to, I thought to myself, well, I really kind of suck on guitar. I know I can't sing very well, but I think I know what's good. Musically, I want to go try to find the next U2 or the next, you know, Jackson Brown. And yeah. so I wrote to every record label in New York City to see if I could get a job as a secretary. And um, nobody wrote me back. Oh, I've been so I, went, I can relate to that. So I went to a temp agency and they had a job opening in the collection accounting department of a company I'd never heard of called BMI. So I went to a place that they used to call the library and I researched <laughs> what BMI was. There was no internet back then. And I read up on them and I, I did a good interview and they gave me the job for $16,000 a year as a secretary to a secretary in the collection department. Wow. And I went out to go see bands every night on my own. And within a year, I had gotten myself into the music department and then um, two, was a secretary there. Then two years later, became associate director. Then two years later, director. Then I went to work for Warren Chapel Music for a year or so. And then BMI got me back. And I was senior director of the New York office for a while. 
Wow. And then I inconveniently got sick when I was 33. And when I was in the hospital, I just said, well, you know, I love writing songs. I never show anyone because I can't because I'm BMI exec. My job was to help everyone else out, which I loved. But I said I didn't want to be 40 and not try it. So when I got healthy, I went to BMI and I told him I was retiring from BMI. I said I wasn't quitting because I love the people there and I love the company. But I said I needed to do this for myself. And I needed, I didn't want to look back and say I didn't try. And were they supportive of you? Um, yeah. Oh, my God. The first thing they said was, Jeff, do you know how hard it is to become a songwriter? And I said, yeah, I've just worked here for 10 years. I know exactly. <laughs> it's really hard. Yeah. And then Del Bryant, who was the president at the time, and what a great, great, I mean, I cannot say enough great things about Del Bryant and Charlie Feldman, who were my bosses there. And Del looked at me and he goes, well, so you've got, you're not going to go work for Sony or Universal or ASCAP. Or, I go, no, no, Del, I'm going to write songs. And he goes, well, you have some cuts lined up, right? And I said, no, I think I've got like five or six songs, I think, that are really good that I could start showing people. And wow. he goes, okay. He goes, go back into your office, full vice president. We could discuss salary. This never happened. I understand that you almost died and you've had a tough year. He goes, we will promote you. We will give you a raise. Go back in your office. This never happened. And I said, wow. I said, Dell, I said, number one, I can't tell you how much that means to me. I said, that, that, wow, thank you. I said, but my mind is so made up that you could offer me your job and a million dollars a year. And my mind is made up still. Wow. And to show you how classy Del Bryant was, he looked at me and he goes, there's really nothing I can say to change your mind. And I go, no. He goes, well, then how can I help you? Unbelievable. That's amazing. And I said, just keep being my friend. I'm going to get choked up. I still remember that moment. And I said, just, they're, wow. they're good people. That's amazing. You know, and it's, it's so important to have, those people that believe in you because nobody in the music world does anything on their own. It's a team effort. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I think they thought I was a little nuts to, to try to become a songwriter, but, sure. but Dell, I said to Dell, I said, I'm going to get a song in a movie. I'm going to get a song on a TV show. I'm going to get, I'm going to get a song on the radio. I'm going to get a song, a BMI award and a Grammy. Well, goes, How long do you think that'll take? I go probably 10 years. And he's like, okay. And two years later, I won my first BMI award, and he was giving it out. And he, he's the one who gave it to me, and he put his arm around me when I got on stage. Am I allowed to curse on the show? Yes. He just puts his arm around me, and he goes, you motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> he, goes, he goes, man, I'm so proud of you. And, I mean, I can't tell you how supportive Dell and Charlie and, you know, have been. They're, you know – I can't, I can't say, listen, if I hadn't gotten sick, I would probably still be at BMI right now in a, in a vice president position or maybe a senior VP or who knows what I would have been, but it's the best company I've ever worked for. That's amazing. That's such an amazing story. Yeah. Um, how did you go from BMI to two years later winning a BMI award. I mean, well, was it, was well, it those connections that you made working there for 10 years? Actually, no, it's actually quite the opposite. No one would write with me. Um, I, um, yeah, it really kind of sucked. I, um, 
Yeah, you would think that. And I think everyone thought that. And it's kind of funny because I went and made a CD and I took my first meeting at Sony with someone who I knew who was maybe four years older than me. And I played three songs for her and she looked at me and she said, Jeff, listen, it's really cool that you're trying to be a songwriter, but we need choruses and we need hits. And like, you'd be great sitting around a fire singing Kumbaya. And I need, I need, you know, let me give you some advice that might help you. And I'm like, okay. She goes, listen to what's on the radio and try to copy that and give me something that I could use or better yet, you know, you're, you're a pretty chill dude. People like you get in a room with people who are better than you and just hang in the room, maybe get a word or two in and maybe you'll get a song on a TV show one day. Wow. And I looked at her and um, I thought to myself, okay, well, I just worked in the industry for 10 years and I signed 11 acts that went multi-platinum. I think I know what a chorus is. I don't know if I know what a hit is, but who really does? I know when my instinct says something could be a hit, but you know, sometimes I've been right. Sometimes I've been, you know, off. Um, but I'm like, wow. So I looked at her and I said exactly what I thought I should say. I told her to go. No, I'm kidding. I, um, <laughs> I, I looked at her and I just said, thank you for your time. Um, you know, uh, maybe one day I'll be appropriate to work with one of your artists. And she actually looked at me and said, yeah, go get him, kid. And I'm like, you're four, you're four years older than me. Oh. You have signed one act that did well, and you're living off that for a few years. And I'm like, I got to the elevator, I got downstairs, and I started laughing my head off. And I'm like, you know what? I know these songs have choruses. They might not be hits, but they don't suck. And the reason she saw me playing around a campfire is because we had all been at a retreat about five years before that. And some people were past, I was with this artist, Lisa Loeb, who is a friend of mine, and we went up for the weekend, and she was playing, and Lisa's like, oh, Jeff can play a little bit, so I didn't want to play anything I wrote, so I did like Paul Simon, like you can call me Al or Margaritaville or something, like, you know, a tequila, and, you know, so everyone, so in her mind, I was the guy playing at a campfire, just as whenever I took meetings, my first few years, even when I had a song in the top three on the pop charts, when I had a TV theme, when I had a major movie, people were still asking, did I change words? Did I play an instrument? When people see you as one thing, it's hard for them to break their perception. I was the guy in the suit who moderated panels at South by Southwest and CMJ. I'm the one who signed Jeff Buckley and Spin Doctors and Lisa Loeb and Cara Diaguardi. They couldn't, they couldn't get out of that mindset. A lot of them were like, man, I'm sorry, you got really sick. And I had two people actually say, man, a year from now or so, when you want to come back in the industry, call us and we'll hire you. Wow. And I'm like, guys, I'm not coming back in a year. I'm not looking back until I'm 40. That's a seven-year plan. And I said, I'm not even remotely looking back. I said, if I don't, if I epically fail, then talk to me. But even then, I'm probably going to give myself an extension. I'm not doing this. I'm not playing to lose. And so it was, it was really difficult. It was very frustrating. I mean, I had a top three song, and my co-writer got to work with Mandy Moore and Michelle Branch and all these writers, and I didn't get a single call. And I got a call from one publisher, and they offered me the worst 
deal. And I'm like, really? You're offering me that? I said, you know, I'm making more on my TV theme than you're offering me for my whole catalog, including a song that's rising up the charts. They just wanted a piece of my hit song. Yeah. They didn't care if I wrote another song in my life. Wow. Well, and where, I knew that because I knew how deals work. Where was the turning point for you? Well, well, I don't know, actually. I, I mean, to, ask, to answer your question, what happened was after that Sony meeting, I'm like, well, you know, I, I guess the, the record label and publisher stuff is closed to me. So I'm going to go towards TV film and I'm going to go to Europe where they don't know me. And I can just be an American writer and can stand on merit for writing a good lyric and a good song. And I found a kid named Titor who I brought over to New York and we wrote a bunch and he ended up getting a record label deal with Universal. And within two years, he's opening for John Mayer and Rufus Wainwright. I've since written on six records with him over 20 years and well, 17 years. And he's one of the most talented kids. I mean, guys, he's not a kid anymore. He's 40 now, but he's one of the most talented artists I still to this day have ever worked with. He's a freaking musical genius. And we wrote songs that we loved. And it worked. John Mayer went on CNN and said it was his favorite album of the year. And then how did I get the BMI award? There was another unsigned band. I started working with unsigned acts that I thought were awesome. And one was a duo from Atlanta called Evan and Jaron. And Jaron and I wrote a few songs. They wrote separately. Evan wrote some songs. They got a record deal. And then one of our songs, Crazy for This Girl, became the single. And it came out. It did nothing the first few months. And then it just took off like wildfire, thanks to a, a promotion guy in New York who believed in the song and didn't give up on it when they were about to walk away from it. So a lot of it's timing and luck. And that took off. And you would think I would have gotten a lot of work from that, but it was so soon out of the gate from BMI, yeah. everyone assumed that Jaron wrote the song and I just basically was in the room. And then three years later, I had a number one song here with Big and Rich, but everyone thought it was John and Kenny. And, uh, and they're incredibly talented, don't get me wrong, but right. know, I was in the room and did it. And um, that one was my fault because I was living in New York and I did not come down to Nashville enough. If I had come down to Nashville, I probably would have A, got more rights, even though every time I came to Nashville, people only wanted to write non-country with me. Nobody would write country with me even when I had a country hit. Like I had one major writer here, finally someone who had had a cut wanted to write with me. And I flew down to Nashville to write with him. And he's like, man, let's write a song for that TV show you write for Dawson's Creek. Oh. And I was like, we can. I said, but how much money do you think you're going to get for a placement on Dawson's Creek? He goes, I don't know, 20 grand, 30 grand. I go, you're going to get $2,000 that we're going to split. So we'll make $1,000 each. And then we'll make another 1300 from BMI. So we'll make about $2,000 each from that placement. And he's like, well, I make a lot more of my country hits. I go, yeah, you do. <laughs> and I said, if we're going to do a Dawson's Creek song, then you got to let me drive the ship and do my Counting Crows kind of Matchbox 20, you know, singer-songwriter thing because your country thing is not going to work on Dawson's Creek. Yeah. Everybody wanted to do what they didn't do. Wow. And my attitude was, I was pretty straightforward about it. And I go, listen. I didn't grow up on Hank Williams and George Jones and George Strait, okay? I don't know 
the extensive country catalogs that you guys know, but I admit that. But I did grow up listening to the Eagles and to Jackson Brown. And I grew up listening to James Taylor and the Beatles and the Rolling Stones. And I said, if you let me do what I do and you do what you do best, we're not going to come up the middle on a country song, but we might just get in there. Yeah. And it might be something a little bit different. And I said, I have a complete respect for the country music genre. And if, if I start driving off the highway, just tell me to get back on the highway, pull me back in. And, you know, I had a great respect for a lot of these country writers. And my attitude is, listen, hey, if you tell me this is not appropriate or not, I trust you. Yeah. But, one, but every now and then I'm going to come up with a melody or a line that will work that no one else is going to think of because I'm not thinking in the same box. Absolutely. When, when did you move to Nashville from New York? Well, I didn't move until like 2010, 2011. I mean, I, I got a place here in 2005, 2006 after Holy Water when I realized that I, A, needed to spend more time here to be taken seriously, but also I just really liked it. And it was a great balance from New York. And I love New York, but I would come to Nashville and my blood pressure would just go down. I'd be like, this is awesome. And it was such a wonderful place. And it was, you know, to me to see all these amazing writers. And I could just go out on any night of the week to a Bluebird or to a show and just watch, watch the girl who wrote that, watch the guy who wrote that. And I'm just like, holy shit, I have two choices right now. I either raise my game or I quit. Yeah. Quitting has never been an option. So it was very inspirational as a songwriter. And think I had already had a top five pop song. I had done Mandy Moore's stuff at the time. I think I did Macy Gray, Nick Lachey. And I'm coming to Nashville and I had had Big and Rich and I'm thinking I need to get better. Wow. Nashville does make you better. That's exactly what it does. Cause there's just, yeah. there's so much talent here. It's, that's the only option, I guess. I think um, one of the turnarounds would have been, to answer your question, I didn't answer that, sorry, was I was at the BMI Awards picking up an award, my second one for Holy Water, and I went to sit at a table and it was full, and that was the table I was assigned to, and they were like, well, this table's full. And I was like, I think I'm supposed to be sitting here. And I said, you know what? It's cool. I don't really give a shit. So I went to the woman at BMI and I said, she goes, no, you're supposed to be sitting there. We want you to sit with those people. And I go, I, I really don't want to rock the boat. Just put me anywhere. They go, Jeff, you're winning an award. We wanted you in the front. <laughs> and they look and they go, you know what? We got something for you. They take me to a table in the front and they go, Jeff, this is Christian Bush. And Christian Bush goes, Jeff Cohen, what does a guy got to do to write with you? What? And and I go, he goes, man, the Titor record, the Poncho's Lament records. I love that stuff. And I go, how do you know my pretend band that at the time had had about 75 TV placements? And how do you know an obscure artist from Denmark? And that is where Christian Bush is Christian Bush. That man just knows music. And he has a spectrum. You know, Christian Bush was in a band before Sugarland that, op that Radiohead opened for. He was in a duo on Atlantic Records before Sugarland that was kind of like R.E.M. I mean, he was, oh, they were great. And, you know, and this is where something with writers like Christian said, hey, we need to get together. Are you going to be in L.A. at all in January? And I go, I am. 
I had no plans on being in LA in January. I go, what dates are you there? He goes, we're there the 12th to the 16th. I go, I'm there that time too. He goes, let's book a date. So I book my trip for the 12th to like the 18th. He calls me up after I booked this. He goes, man, we got to come in early. Can you, are you there on the 10th? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'm there on the 10th. I had to change my flight. And you know, when you change an outgoing flight, you got to book a new ticket. It ended up costing me close to $800 to get out there. But I did. And I showed him an idea I wrote called April Showers. And he loved it. And he goes, what are you doing tonight? And I go, I'm having supposed to go to a movie with my friend I'm staying with. And he goes, do you want to come to dinner with me, Jennifer, and our manager at our manager's house? And I was like, I'd love to. I had never met Jennifer. Yeah. And I went in there and I'm like, okay, shit. Could she be any nicer? And down to earth, she was freaking awesome. And we had a great dinner. And Christian goes, Jeff, play, play them one of your tighter songs. And I was like, and Jennifer's like, you wrote that? I know that. I love that song. And then Christian goes, play her the idea you showed me today. So I played her April Showers, the verse and the chorus. And when I had gone to the bathroom, I came back out. And Jennifer and Christian go, what are you doing next Monday and Tuesday? <laughs> I go, what am I doing? They go, if you can get to Atlanta, we have two days off the road and we can write with you. I go, done, I'll be there. They go, if you can get yourself down there, we'll put you up in a hotel for two nights. Wow. And that was a turning point for me. And I ended up getting songs on each of the next few Sugarland records. And, you know, they were, I will say this. I wrote with them in Atlanta. And then the next time they invited me out on the road to come write, I had never been on a tour bus, I'd never, well, that's not true. When I was at BMI, I had gone on to tour buses, you know, for like Spin Doctors and Blues Traveler and some of the bands. And I had been on Big and Rich's tour bus after shows saying hello, but I'd never done like three, four days in a row sleeping on the bus. And I will say this, probably going out with Sugarland for three or four days was the best vacations I've ever had in my life. <laughs> I mean, we would, I'd sleep on the bus. They would do their interviews and their yoga in the morning and do what they had to do. I'd meet them at 12 noon and we'd have lunch and then we'd write from one to four and then they'd have to do sound check and then chill. We'd have dinner like at five and they'd relax before the show. And I mean, think about the people that opened for them. Little Big Town, Jake Owen. I mean, I would just go sit at the side of the stage and watch Little Big Town, and then I'd go hang on Little Big Town's bus. It was Kelly Pickler. It was, it was such a wonderful time. And, but I also knew I've got between one and four on two days. So I've got six hours to get on the next record. Yeah. Because they're so busy, I probably won't get to write with them more than once or twice on this cycle. That was your shot. And I luckily came through on that. And Jennifer, again, this is integrity. When I first was supposed to write with them in Portland, it was Idaho, Portland, and Seattle. And I'd never been to Oregon or Idaho. That's why I chose Rude. Jen had some vocal issues and had to cancel that leg of the tour. So I had to reschedule. And I, so they, they're so sweet. They're like, choose an area you've never been to. So I had never been to Iowa, Nebraska. And I'm like, I've always wanted to go there. I'll meet you there. And I also thought from a business perspective, there'd be more time. Because if you go to like 
New York or LA or Nashville or even Atlanta, you've got a lot more industry people taking up their time. If you go to Iowa and Nebraska, yeah. you can hang on the bus after. It's more, it's, it's, it's more a real hang. Absolutely. So that was not an accident. And, and I really did want to see those states. And I started when I was supposed to write with them in like July. Christian's like, we need a Rod Stewart-y kind of vibe, like a Maggie Mae. So I had all these Maggie Mae-like ideas that were in that kind of tempo and that vibe. So I came in with those ideas in October when I got to write with them. And about a half an hour in, we're working on the song. And Jennifer goes, look, Jeff, let me be honest with you. We've already filled that slot on the record. We've got two songs that we feel good about that we've since written since we last talked. I don't want to waste your time. We just found out we're going to be headlining on our next tour. We need some arena songs. We need some big choruses. Hate to put you on the spot. I know this is not what you were prepared for, but that's what we need. If you're going to have a shot on being on the record, I think that's your, that's your lane. And I had had an old Poncho's Lament idea that I played for them. And Jennifer said, play that again. Christian goes, I love the vibe on this. And Jen goes, your pre-chorus is the chorus. Your pre-chorus is our chorus. Let's write off of that. Wow. It was a song called Take Me As I Am. It was Maggie Durant's song from the Sugarland record. And Jennifer took the pre-chorus that I had and made it the chorus of the song. Wow. And then I had been listening on tour the night before. Little Big Town did a cover of Go Your Own Way, Fleetwood Mac. And I was always enamored with Mick Fleetwood's drumming. And I actually got to spend time with him in Cuba in 98. And I talked to him about it. As I love that part on Go Your Own Way where it's like, ba-bum, ba-bum. It's like, if you listen to the drums, it goes all across the speakers. It's like, like that. And I said, how cool would it be if we do something like that for an arena where we start off like, da-dum, ba-bum, ba-bum. Like that. And, you know, Christian Bush is the ultimate musician and his eyes just lit up and he goes, <laughs> I know what to do. And we had that in mind when we were writing the verses. So it was very, you know, we really had that in mind. And, you know, you get on a verse with Jen and Christian, it's like, put your seatbelt on. Wow. And we wrote the song in two hours and we had the chorus and, um, it made the record. That's amazing. You're living the dream. These stories, I just have chills. It's so exciting. It's so cool. Did I have a question though? Did you ever tell Christian that you weren't actually planning on being in LA? No. <laughs> you never told him. <laughs> he knew. He's he's one of the smartest guys that I know, out. and I think he probably looked at that as dude's doing his business right. He's hungry. Yeah, people admire that. Okay. Um. I kind of want to know what the difference is, I guess, work-wise, effort-wise, focus-wise, between like writing for country music and writing for sync and TV. I mean, uh, how different are they? Yeah, it's very different. I mean, I'm, I mean, to me, I still come from the school of, of try to write. It, it is different. I'll tell you why. You know, I, I came up and I still really try to write what I know about, what what comes natural to me. I find that if I, you know, in most cases, if I try to aim too hard for something people want me to do, 
it's it's not as genuine. Having said that, for sync, you do have to. There are certain things you do have to aim, and there is a target. Um, the difference between writing for sync and and country, most of it is is lyric and the vernacular. I mean, there's certain lyrics that work in country music. I've been coming down here for 20 years. I've lived, I've bought a place here 15 years ago. I've lived here for 10 years. And I still don't know exactly what all the country language. I mean, I, I admit that sometimes I get it right, but sometimes I don't. And, you know, there are certain people you know, certain people are like, oh, man, that's so simple. Fuck that. That What they're writing, that simple song, is so much harder to write than people realize. There's a reason why some of the country writers in town here consistently get hit songs. is because they, they, have, they have a thing. And they've tapped into the market. And they have a way of saying things that really work. And people respond to it. If it was that easy, we'd all have hits. Absolutely. It's not, it's not that easy. And what some people might think, I mean, I have a great respect. There are certain writers in town that I, I, I don't write the way they do. I, I can't write the way they do. But I have such a great respect for what they do. And you have so much to offer as yourself. Well, yeah, and that's always been my and that's always been my angle. If I tried to chase the radio in Nashville, I'm screwed. Yeah. And my attitude is, let me do what I do best, and you do what you do best, and we're going to come up with a really cool song. Yeah. It might not get cut every time, but we're going to write something good, and let's and let's not settle. Let's really just my attitude is the song's not done until until we say it is. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, we're allowed to go back and revisit it. I just wrote a song, in fact, while we're talking, there's a young producer writer who is working with me right now my, as my engineer, and he's, I'm bringing him in on stuff, and we wrote with a young artist. We only had a few hours, and we wrote a verse, chorus, verse, chorus, musical bridge, and another chorus. And we handed it in, we did the demo, and I listened back, and I'm like, something's just not right. And I talked to her manager and the manager goes, Jeff, it's pretty linear, man. It's good parts, but it's just something. I go, I agree with you. So I called them up and I said, can we get back together and just go over the song? I think there's some magic in it, but I think we got 75% of it. We ended up writing a second chorus and our chorus became the pre-chorus. Wow. And we ended up writing another part to it and it gave it a whole, it took it to another level. Wow. You know, that song, the songs are not, some songs you write in four hours, some songs you write in four weeks, sometimes you write in four years. Yeah. I go back and I'm chipping away at any time I'm working on 10 to 15 songs at a time on my own, chipping away, like imagine like a piece of marble, like a sculpture. I'll take the, the cloth off it, I'll look at what I have, I'll start chipping away at it, and then I'll run out of steam or I get stuck on what to do. I put the cloth back over it and then I revisit it another day and I just keep chipping away until we get it right. Yeah. I think that's a great analogy. Can you, can you take us into your routine songwriting wise? Like what's a day in Nashville like? What's a day in London like? What's your process like? Um, 
Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, not not what's my day like on freaking lockdown. <laughs> you mean like on a normal day? Yeah. On lockdown, I get up at nine. I have breakfast. I try to work till lunch. Then I try to do phone calls, and then sometimes I'll watch an episode of whatever TV show I'm binging, and I'll make sure I walk for an hour a day, and then I'll just repeat and do it again. Um, yeah, <laughs> lockdown. I've been in this room for two months. One Sounds second. pretty similar to my routine right now. <laughs> um, and I've done a few virtual rights, but not many. I've been mostly um, working on teaching myself guitar and improving my piano, and I've started uh, doing logic. Yeah. I figured let's, let's utilize this time and try to get something from it. Yeah, totally. I wish I had done – I will say this to any writers out there, and I don't know if you do this already, but – Man, if I was in my 20s right now, like, or even when I was starting, I started at 34, 35, and I thought I was too old to take time to really learn how to do Pro Tools and Logic. My career would have been incredibly farther along if I had learned how to do that back then. There were so many rooms I couldn't get into because I couldn't make a free demo. There are so many songs I've written with artists that are somewhere on a cassette or on a work tape on my phone because I didn't get their vocal down the day that I saw them and then I never got to see them again because they were off on the road. And we lost that cut because my work tape on the phone was being compared to some producer making a record sounding demo. And the label or the management or even the artist sometimes gets all like, oh my God, this sounds like a record. This is just a guitar vocal. I, it, that song's better. No, that song's not better. That song is fully produced. Yeah. So if, if, I, I really, I cannot stress more for writers to even learn a minimal skill of having to get a guitar vocal or a piano vocal down. And that way, if you write with artists, don't get that vocal down before they leave. Because you can build the track after. You don't have to do it that day. Get the guitar vocal of every artist before they leave the room. And even songwriter, I mean, you know, get, get, get it done. If the song is done. Yeah, I think very, very good advice. Do you have any other advice for songwriters or aspiring artists or people who want to get into sync? I know that's a lot of categories, but. Yeah, my advice would be rethink everything. <laughs> what if you're like me and what if you're like you and you just feel like it's your calling and you have no choice in the matter? Well, that's how I quit BMI. I mean, someone said, does it feel strange? And I said, the strange thing is, this doesn't feel strange. Yeah. It feels like this is what I was meant to do. And, and look, I've done it now. This makes 20, 20 years that I've been a songwriter, okay? And if, you know, if the whole industry stopped tomorrow and I wasn't able to support myself as a songwriter, would I go back? I've gotten offers to run to be VPs of publishing companies here three times, you know, in the last six years, I've had offers to go work for other companies. And at the time I was de developing artists and I didn't think I could do both at this point in my life. Would I consider in the right situation? I would listen right now. I'd still write. You can't, you're not, I'm not going to not play and not write. I did that for fun. When I was at BMI, I made cassettes for my sisters and for my girlfriend. I, you know, I'd play for her at night. But, you know, the good thing is when we're, what we're doing, no one can take it away. I mean, the bottom line is the 25 million records or whatever I've been on or the wonderful artists who cut my songs. 
even if I wasn't allowed to be a professional songwriter tomorrow and earn a living from it, I would still write songs. And in my mind, I look at it two ways. I'm probably the happiest, not content person in the world in that <laughs> I, I achieved my initial goal, which was to prove to myself that I could write songs that people would enjoy and to watch people enjoy them. I watched uh, a YouTube last night of Josh Groban doing his Awake Live concert. Mm -hmm. And the clip was him coming out of the crowd singing a song that I wrote. Wow. And you saw all these people just going, like, you know, now I think they were more because they wanted to touch him. But, <laughs> but, oh, oh. right. But I saw the, the, the thread of comments after. And I saw, oh my God, that was my wedding song. Oh my God, my favorite song ever. Oh my God, this lyric. And I thought to myself, we're not doctors. We're not saving people's lives. I mean, you know, especially in a time like this. But even, if, even when it's not a pandemic, you know, doctors, you know, keep us alive. But I thought to myself, I just made someone happy even if it was for three minutes and 38 seconds. It's, it's powerful. I, I think people need music. You know, I really do. What would the so world be like without music? It'd be really quiet. It'd be very quiet. <laughs> I think we'd all go a little mad. Uh, speaking of music, do you want to play something for us? Oh, I don't, I don't play an instrument or, or write really. Oh, okay. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just a businessman. Okay. Who grew up with squirrels? <laughs> yes. Hey, squirrels are nice. <laughs> Maybe that song I originally wrote was, you know, look at her. crazy for this squirrel. No, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. I did not write that. Um, maybe we'll do a country song? Sure. Hang on, let me tune this baby up. So, um, this goes under the category, Megan, of writing with, again, people you've never heard of. I got a call to write with a sister, a girl and two brothers who are about to sign a management deal. They were about to sign a record deal, but nothing was done. And my friend Kara was coming down that week and she had gotten the call to write with them. And she said, I'll do it if I could bring in Jeff Cohen on this. Cause I think they want someone to play guitar. And also, you know, Kara was just getting into the country world at that point. And um, so Kara and I wrote with this girl and then her two brothers ended up coming into the right, which we weren't expecting, really. And but we're like, yeah, it's cool. And um, the girl in the right had this great song title. And that's one of those things where some days you're the bat, some days you're the ball. I mean, you know, certain days you're bringing in the idea, certain days you're like, wow, that's a really great idea. You're really good. Yeah. Now my job is to get you to the finish line and really do justice to your idea and try to add to it and really make sure that, that, that we do right by you. And luckily we did, I think. And it went top five. And it was with the Bam Perry. And I'll do a uh, quarantine mellow version of it. <laughs> 
Can you hear the guitar? Yeah. Said I remember when my heart caught the fever. You were standing all alone in the summer heat. I was with my girlfriend, my new girlfriend. She was as sweet as she could be. But one look at you, and I was through. My heart switched up on me. Like a postcard from Paris, when I seen the real thing. It's like finding out your diamond from an old promise ring. It's a call on back from your fortune teller. She read your cards upside down. The meanest thing you ever did was come around. And now I'm ruined. Evening, you can catch me daydreaming. Did that moment send you reeling just like me? Yeah, I should have gone over, right over. I should have never let you leave. But it's the never knowing that keeps this going and drives me crazy like a postcard from Paris when I seen the real thing it's like finding out your diamond from a wrong promise raised I'll call on back from your fortune teller she read your cards upside down the meanest thing you ever did was come around just when I thought things were all right, my eyes played tricks on my mind. Will I ever be satisfied? Because all I ever seem to find is a postcard from Paris. When I need the real thing, it's like finding out your diamond. From an old promise ring, it's a call on back from your fortune teller. She read your cards upside down. The meanest thing you ever did, the coolest thing you ever did, the meanest thing you ever did. It's come round. Now I'm ruined. Yeah. Well, that was a different version of that. I love it. <laughs> what am I? The, what's that? I was gonna say it's really hard. I know there's a delay, so I was trying not to sing along, especially with oh. the ruin. I love that. Yeah, I mean, listen to to Kimberly sing that. She sings it a lot better than I do. <laughs> Oh my gosh. I love it. Okay. I have to ask, since you've had so much success in different ways, what's next for you? What kind of goals do you have for yourself? Well, um, I'm really proud of the, the publishing company that I have. And uh, one of our writers, 
who we had uh, as a, a song on Ingrid Andres' record and two on Fillmore's record right now. And um, we did a deal with Sony, so he's going to be with them because uh, he, you know, our deal was up and I've been concentrating mostly on my songwriting for the last year. So we were able to get him. Uh, he's with Sony now. His name's Zach Abend. He's he's freaking genius. And um, oh, keep an eye on Zach. Zach. Yeah. Freaking, what a what what a monster of of a musician and writer. And you know, we were very fortunate to work with him his first four years of his career. And it was it was a great natural next step for him to go up to Sony and get a whole bigger team. It's a lot more than I could have offered. And you know, so we did a deal with Sony, and now I'm just a small you know kind of part on that but i'm really proud that we got those cuts for him you know and he yeah. got some himself when you're a songwriter even when you sign a publishing deal it's where i think a lot of people make a mistake you do not rely on your publisher to get you all your cuts you do not rely on your publisher to get you all your co-writes you do not take your foot off the gas you still drive 100 miles an hour yourself and now you have someone in your passenger seat who could sometimes be the driver, sometimes they're in the passenger seat, but you basically have someone who's now driving with you. Right. So what your publisher can get for you is great, but it shouldn't mean you stop doing things for yourself. And, you know, so, so that's, that, that's important. So what's next for me? I'm real excited. I mean, we have three songs out in England. I've got a song with an amazing young artist on uh, Broken Bow, BMG, Sycamore. Do you know Sycamore? No. Oh my God, go check her out. She is great. We've got a single that's coming out in June. It was just released. It's got over 300,000 streams in the first two weeks or so. Wow. Fantastic for, for a new artist. And yeah. another one, it's, it's funny is that, what's the expression? You know, the harder I work, the luckier I get. Huh. Yeah. Or someone who works. Zach is someone who works. I worked with another artist who is lazy. And I didn't see that coming. I didn't know. And things did not end well for him. He got dropped from his label. And he was more concerned with other things than putting the time and the work into it. He wanted everyone to do things for him. And that was a real lesson I learned in that I will not sign anybody again or work with anybody again who does not have a similar drive and work ethic that I do. Yeah. I think I that's not fair. No, it's not. You can't, you, you, you can't be in a boat rowing and have one person decide not to row or start rowing in a different direction when you and someone else are rowing this way. You don't get to the destination that way. Yeah, I think so that's, that's good. It's advice. a real lesson, real lesson to learn. When you choose your team, make sure everybody is rowing in the boat in the same direction and everybody has the same destination goal. Yeah. I think that's but great advice. Yeah, but I'm excited. I mean, Kenny Wayne Shepherd just did a song. Jake Bug did a song. And I, I feel really, you know, it kind of, listen, it sucks that we have a freaking pandemic going on. And, you know, the momentum, things were going great. And now things are a little bit on pause. But my attitude is, what can you do during this time to better yourself? Yeah. Um, if it means me stockpiling ideas and writing songs myself and then bringing them into people when the time comes. So be it. If it means getting better on your instrument, if it means getting better in logic or pro tools, which I cannot, you know, some purists might be like, Oh, Jeff, you're no, if you're a songwriter, 
and you're not an artist and you don't have the outlet to be an artist, learn how to do a basic vocal and guitar or vocal and piano on Logical Pro Tools. Trust me, it will help get you into rooms and it will make you more valuable. I've written with people where you get someone who can't write at all, but can play piano and get a vocal and the artists think that they're genius when you, the writer, end up writing the whole song. I mean, it's never going to hurt you to be able to do everything. No, it's not. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I've been doing. I've, oh man, I've been writing and just sending guitar vocals left and right this whole time. I, I think it's the best way to pass time right now is to just immerse yourself in work. It took me a few weeks to finally get in that headspace. The first three weeks, I was more concerned with all my family in New York. And yeah, I think uh, everyone was. Four people I know who died up there. So, I mean, so it, it was very hard for me to sit down and just start writing. And I just wasn't in that mood. And then my friends, when John Prime passed away, one of my friends texted me and another friend and said, I didn't really know John Prime's work. Can you recommend a few songs? And I said, look, I... I know John Prine's work, not like I know Jackson Brown or Van Morrison or, you know, James Taylor, but I know, let me start you with five of my favorite John Prine songs. And we were all chatting and I said, you know what guys, it was 1030 at night. I said, I'm going to write a song in the mode of John Prine. I'll get it to you guys in a half an hour. And I sat down right here and I wrote a song in 25 minutes and I sent it to both of them and the girl called me back and started crying. And she's like, this is gorgeous. You just wrote that in 25 minutes. And I go, I, I needed to start again. Yeah. Wow. Well, I'm, I'm so sorry for a loss. This is just a crazy time, but I'm glad that music is providing some kind of comfort, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It, it will. We'll figure this out. Um, we will. We're going to be mean, all right. I don't, I don't, I don't think, I don't think anyone knows what's going to happen in the next few months. No, not in any capacity and certainly not in the music industry. Nobody knows, but you know, it's, everybody watching, just keep writing, keep singing, keep doing it. It'll find its place again. It'll find its way. The one thing I can say is, is that you have to be able to develop with the industry and you have to be able to, you know, I'm lost for the word right now, transition. Imagine this. Imagine that you're on a three-lane highway and you're driving 70, 80 miles an hour and everything's going great. Then all of a sudden you notice it's a two-lane highway and you see a bunch of people you know get off on an exit. That one lane gets off on an exit. Next thing you know, you're driving and the second lane gets off on an exit. Now you're on a one-lane highway. There's a re These people are all getting off onto what's going on now, the new road. If you stay on this one road, you're going to end up on a dirt road. Yeah. And dirt roads are fine, but not many people are driving on dirt roads right now. You're really good at metaphors and analogies. No, no, I'm, I'm, I'm coming off the top of my head right now. I'm a little tired. No, that was brilliant. It was spot on. But, you know, I mean, to me, you have, okay, evolve would be the word. Yeah. You have to evolve. I'm not saying that you should sacrifice any of the integrity of your songwriting, but in terms of business, like, I need to get better. Like what we were talking, I need to figure out how to get better at how to post on Instagram or Facebook, you know, or even just how to, as simple as learning the best way to put your songs into files to send. Even if you don't want to do social media, you know, there are 
like if you're pitching TV film, are you working on disco or are you working on sounds? I mean, the supervisors want to get the songs through a certain platform. Yeah. The days of just dropping off a CD, it's not, you don't do that anymore. The days of even sending an MP3, they don't, it's got to be completely metadata labeled. It's got to have the information on there, the lyric, the instrumental. You got to make it easier for the people you're working with. To well, that's work. really valuable information. Can you just elaborate a little bit more for somebody who wants to do that? What platform did you mention you think? But disco, disco is good for TV6, but I mean, like, even I'm learning how to do this. I'm getting better at it. And I've had over 100 songs on TV and four themes. <laughs> the old way I was doing things, I lost a bunch of placements because I was slow to evolve to the new technology that you have to pitch sync. There's a lot of TV sync companies that their sole purpose is to pitch TV and sync. Yeah. If you're a music supervisor, are you going to call Jeff Cohen, who has only his catalog, or this person who you know you have a deal set up with and have 100 catalogs? and different stuff. Right. The days of being the independent person like that, it's a lot more difficult. Yeah. Are there ways to do it? Absolutely. But it's harder. Yeah. But make it easier for them. Yeah. Everything's harder right now. Learn a new skill. Become the master of your craft. Yeah. yeah. And learn and learn the business. Yeah. Learn if music supervisors want metadata with lyrics, instrumentals, splits, if you can make a deal with them beforehand saying it's a one shop, get permission from your other songwriters that you know you're what yeah. they're all going to agree on ahead of time. Yeah. Have everything ready to go. So just act like you've already got a yes, you know? Yeah. And yeah. even when you do all that, it's still not easy because there's okay. so many people competing for so many small slots, right. but you just got to write great songs. And I do believe that the best songs do make it through sometimes. Yeah. I think we have to believe that. Yeah. Thank you so much for being here and taking the time. We really appreciate your insight. I know our followers do, so thank you very well, much. Well, it's really, it's really wonderful the way you support songwriters, and I've always respected, you know, the fact that you organize these events and these podcasts, and you know, the industry needs more people like you. Thank you. Oh, that means so much. You made my whole day. Yeah. Thank well, cool. You. Thank you, Megan. Thank you, everyone out there. Everyone, hang in there. Stay safe, and let's get through this shit. <laughs> Amen. We'll see you later. Bye. Hey, take care.